Hey, uh, good morning. My name is Brian Jones. I want to say hello to those of you who are brand new, and uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I want to start out by telling you something that we did a couple years ago. We made a wall, uh, like a picture wall, in our office of every single person who has ever been baptized in our church. We went, we got uh, their picture, and we creeped on all of your social media accounts, stuff like that, found pictures of you who have been baptized, and we put headshots on the wall, basically starting in 2000 with all the people who were baptized in 2000, 2001, 2002, all the way until today. It was really, really cool. Uh, it didn't last because uh, our facilities, if you're brand new, are used 24-7 by multiple groups at multiple times. And so essentially, people who played ping pong essentially would dive into the wall and, uh, and knock out all of the people who were baptized in 2003. So we've been waiting for another way we can actually put that wall up there. But it was really, really cool. There was a downside, however. The downside was... When we were going through and taking account of every single person who had been baptized, we noticed that there were people who were missing, not missing in terms of life, like they went off the grid and they were living in Alaska somewhere, but they were AWOL from Christianity, that they got baptized here, but they were no longer following Jesus. Why does that happen? I think it happens because, let me tell you another story. This Tuesday, I went to the office. I had a meeting, and then when I was done, I noticed in one of our rooms in the building, there was a group of people laughing hysterically. Popped my head in. I said, hey, how you doing? They invited me. Come on in. They had chocolate strawberries. Amazing. And uh, they, the, turns out this is a group that's meet, been meeting together for a while. And it was just really, really cool to see them and hear their story. And they started sharing just spontaneously how long they've been meeting. And then all of the things they have seen each other get through in life, all of their struggles and all of their joys and people who are getting baptized and kids and that sort of thing. And I thought to myself, of literally right around the corner on the wall, all of the people who were baptized at some point in the life of our church eventually falling away falling by the wayside, and then there were other people who stuck. There were other people who were growing in their faith. How do you account for this? Why does this happen? I think this happens uh, because of someone's understanding of what Christianity is all about. We're in this series called More and Better. Today's the last week we're going to talk about it. And last week, if you weren't here, we talked about how we're going to have a new mission statement as a church. The mission statement is really, really simple. To make more, can you put that up on the screen? To make, thank you. Well, to make more and better disciples. That's what our mission is moving forward as a church. It's really a clarification of our language. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, fulfill the commandment that Jesus gave on, in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 18 says this. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
That is our mission as a church. When we say we want to make more and better disciples, what we're saying is that we want to do Matthew chapter 28. Now, you're going to notice a couple words that don't seem very familiar or they don't come through in English. The word nations, for instance. Mathetusite, um, disciple all the um, ethne, the pagans. Um, how many of you know someone who is a pagan? How many of you were sitting next to someone who was a pagan? How many of you are here today and you're not wearing an Eagles jersey? Is there anybody like that? Those of you who are wearing your Steelers jerseys and stuff like that? Pagans, pagans, pagans. You know what I'm talking about. A pagan is someone who's living a life far from God. And what Jesus was simply saying is, I want you to go to every single place on the planet. I want you starting in your own home. Go to every single place on the planet to find every single person that doesn't have a relationship with me, and I want you to do whatever you can to help them develop to become a disciple. Now, for those of you who hung around Christianity for a while, you think of disciple as sort of like the honors program of Christianity. Like there's everybody, and then there's an elite core of people like the Navy SEALs of Christianity who move on to discipleship. According to Jesus, discipleship happens at conversion. We become disciples at conversion. The word Christian only occurs in the Bible three times. The word disciple occurs over 160 times. And so I have a challenge for every single person here, for those of you who are disciples of Jesus. I want you to end the practice of using the word Christian. It's going to seem really weird at first. But every single time you talk about someone who was a follower of Jesus, I want you to use the word disciple. When you're getting ready to say those of us who are Christians, don't use that word. I want you to use those of us who are disciples. Now, it might seem kind of weird because the word disciple is associated with like chicken sacrificing cults and places like that. But what we're going to do is we're going to steal that word back from the culture. Um, Dallas Willard says, the New Testament is, is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus. And so last week I touched a bit on um, making more disciples. I want to talk about making better disciples because it's going to directly relate to the people who basically went AWOL from our baptisms. Now, how you define church is going to define your experience of church. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have said something like, oh, we're late for church. We, we need to go to church. We're going to have church. What I want you to understand is that is utterly and completely foreign to Jesus and his message. Church, for the first 300 years in the life of the church, church was people, okay? Elton Trueblood in his book, The Yoke of Christ, said, it's hard for us to visualize what early Christianity was like. Certainly, it was very difficult from the Christianity known to us today. There were no fine buildings. There was no hierarchy. 
There were no theological seminaries, no Christian colleges, no Sunday schools, no choirs, only small groups of believers, small fellowships. In the beginning, there wasn't even a New Testament. The New Testament itself was not so much a cause of these fellowships as a result of them. Thus, the first books of the New Testament were the letters written to the little fellowships, partly because of their difficulties, dangers, and temptations. All they had was the fellowship, nothing else. No standing, no prestige, no honor. The early Christians were not people of standing, but they had a secret power among them. And the secret power resulted from the way in which they were members of one another. Now, why did this happen? It happened in part because this is the way they lived among one another with Jesus. So when Jesus left, they continued meeting together in these small fellowships. What did they do? They did what Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, I came across an interesting survey that talked about all of the things that people in this room do, but no one wants to talk about. They ask people questions that no one likes to talk about in public, but I thought, let's talk about these things in public. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list the results from each of these surveys, and what I want you to do is I want you to have courage and boldness, and if you have done this thing, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to hold it up proudly, knowing that this is a very safe place and only about 900 people are staring at you. Here we go. 40% of women have hurled footwear at a man. If you have done that, raise your hand. Look, I see a hand in the back. God bless you. I see your hand. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Thank you very much for your honesty. It's really good to get that out, isn't it? 40% of women have hurled footwear at a man. 58.4% have called in to work sick when they weren't sick. Raise your hand. Look around. I better not see any church staff members with their hands up. Their hands up. 50% admit they regularly sneak movie into movie theaters to avoid the high prices of snack foods. Raise your hand. People, look around. It's against the rules. You're Christians. You're supposed to be honest. Here we go. 39% of us peek into our host's bathroom cabinet. Raise your hand. Look around. Hold your hand up high because now you are the people we're not inviting over to our houses. Okay? Little scary. Little scary. Um, 47% of us in this room claim to drink straight from the carton in the fridge. I proudly do that. My wife has no idea. She's going to find this out third service, right from the carton. Um, 13% of us admit to occasionally doing our child's homework. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. I myself may have written a small paper at one time and made her edit it. It was mostly her work after she edited it, but anyway, okay. Um, 60% of women and 59% of men have made a pre-made meal and taken credit for doing it from scratch. Raise your hand. There's There's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame, especially mashed potatoes. Matt, who makes mashed potatoes from scratch? Here we go. If you raise your hand to this one, I just want you to get up and leave the church building. 22% leave the glob of toothpaste in the sink. Yep, right now. Just go. 
Just go. There's no hope for you. 30% of us refuse to sit on a public toilet seat. I have no problem. I'm a squatter. You squat and run. All right? I'm not putting my God-given what God gave me on that. There's no, that's not happening. And now raise your hand if, if you're part of the 28.1% that have peed in a pool. Raise your hand. Keep it up high. For those of you who are raising your hands, how many of you were baptized at our church? Know what I'm saying? We want to not follow you. Okay, all right. How do you love people like this, right? How do you love people with all of these quirks? But how do you love people uh, with deeper things, deeper, deeper struggles, uh, um, things, sins, uh, proclivities, tendencies, whatever you call it? The day we became Christians it was the day God completely and unequivocally accepted us. God loved us exactly who we are in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sinfulness. And so he did two things. He forgave us completely, and he accepted us unconditionally. That, that experience of us with Jesus then is to be modeled with our fellow Christians. That we are to forgive and we are to accept unconditionally the people that are around us. That's really hard to do, but it's essential. So one of the tasks of Christianity, of becoming a better disciple, is intentionally pursuing relationships with people where they know the true condition of our souls, and they will accept us for who we are unconditionally, and they will forgive us for what we have done unconditionally. And that we take our masks off and we learn to love one another, which is an incredibly, incredibly rewarding, but sometimes difficult thing to do. The reality is, particularly for men, I, I, I can only speak for myself, and my experience largely is with being in relationships with men where I go very deeply and very transparently. For men especially, the struggle is, is that there's not one person who knows everything about us. That typically for men, um, there is like a, one person or people that knows this thing about us, and then another person that knows this thing, and another person that knows this thing. But there's usually not one person or a small group of people that know the whole shooting match. I assume that's the case for women. And there's a, there's a reason for that, is because there are people that we be, we've become very comfortable with and we'll share part of ourselves with. But the other reason for that is, it is like, why would you do that? Like, why would I go and just start sharing stuff with people? Like, why would I go and intentionally build a relationship with someone and share stuff that I am ashamed of? something I'm struggling with. And the reason we do that is because we can become disciples of Jesus and stay on the surface. Or we can become a better disciple. We become the disciple that Jesus envisioned for us. Like Christian community, to me, the best description of Christian community, what happens in Christian community, comes from the great theologian 
the Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit, one day the rabbit was talking to the skin horse, and the rabbit asked, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? The skin horse said, real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. And it doesn't happen all at once. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to those who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Now that's what happens in authentic, real Christian community. And for the first 300 years, all Christianity was people meeting in homes and then gathering together all of these small little fellowships gathering together for worship like this. But in 313, something awful changed. Christianity became a religio ligata, a licensed religion. Constantine became emperor. His mother, a very committed Christian, basically was a key influence in, in making, helping him to make Christianity a legal religion. And so then what happened in AD, what, 313 A.D., all the way to modern times, is that the church became a place that we went to. How often have we said, I am going to church, right? Uh, we are going to have church. Uh, I, the church building. Um, I remember when we were meeting in the movie theater for six years, uh, long, hard years building community together. A, a, a thousand people meeting in this movie theater. There's no more space. And I remember a friend of mine said, man, I bet it, feel good, it feels good to finally get a church. And I was like, hold on now. We already have a church. We have a great church. What, we, what we're missing right now is facility to house all of us. But unfortunately, that's how people think of Christianity here in the United States. As one insightful author said, in Jerusalem, Christianity was a lifestyle. In Rome, it became an institution. In Europe, it became a culture. And in America, it has become an enterprise. The Protestant Reformation in the 1500s with Martin Luther tacking the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door. These are the things that need to be reformed of the Catholic Church. There were the reformation of the beliefs of the Catholic Church, but wasn't, wasn't reformed during the Reformation was the nature of the Catholic Church. We are largely medieval in our church structure. We've changed the beliefs, but we still think church is going to a building. Where in this building, that's where the holy people get together and do the church stuff, and then I go back home. A lot of people get ticked off. They're like, where is the cross? Well, how can this possibly be a church? Please understand, 
There is no difference between this building and any other building down there at the Providence Town Center. It's drywall with a roof. Years ago, I had a secretary. She was a a really hardcore Mennonite, and she grew up in a church where it was basically this building um, out in the country, and it had no sign. There was no listing of it in uh, the, the yellow pages. Uh, for those of you who are 30 or under, the Yellow Pages is this book. <laughs> I asked her one time, I was like, why, don't you, why isn't there a sign out in front of the church? She said, well, it's because it's not a church. It's a building. I'm like, yeah, 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 but why isn't there a sign? She said, because it's a building. There's nothing sacred about buildings. The only thing that's sacred is people. Now, it's important that we have a building and we maintain it well. You've got 50,000 square feet of facility space, and we have to maintain it. You have mechanics coming in, and we're changing services. We have to do that to be good stewards of, of the Lord's resources. But never, ever, 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 ever forget, we're not coming to church. We are the church. The church is gathering. It's a fundamental difference. Now, here's what the church looks like. The real church. Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court, big group like we're doing right now, But then they broke off in smaller groups and little fellowships where they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And what happened when the church actually was the church? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's why in 2019 and beyond, our vision is very simple. To make more and better disciples simply means We want every person at CCV doing everything they possibly can to help their friends and family far from God become disciples of Jesus. And then every person at CCV deeply committed with a small group of real Christian friends committed to doing life together. What are we doing? Where are we going? What's the future going to hold? It's that. To make more and better disciples. God, we want to thank you for the way you have been at work at our church over the last 18 years, for the way you've changed lives, for the way that you have built little fellowships in unexpected ways, the way you've transformed us, the way you have used our large gathering, just like when the disciples met in the temple courts. God, we pray that the vision that you have given us is our own personal vision. We pray that you would help every single one of us make more and better disciples throughout 2019 and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.